Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! All right, amped to be at Rockbrook Elementary uh, today again as, uh, yeah, we've had a chance to collaborate with a lot of different teachers here at Rockbrook over the course of this year as they're just doing some great things with personalized learning. And so today uh, I'm going to chance to visit with Camille Akers a little bit uh, about some of the things she's implemented with a novel unit and some of her ELA time. And I know that some uh, that, that particular initiative uh, was something that came about through her collaborations with Katie Sint. And so Katie Sint's also in the room. What's up, guys? Hey. Hi. <laughs> um, let's kind of take just a quick minute to do introductions. And so Camille, do you want to uh, kind of give us your background and uh, bio, I guess, for, in education? And we'll uh, kick it to Katie here at some point too to let, let people kind of hear from her. Sure. Yeah. I uh, teach sixth grade here at Rockbrook and I've been here for four years. This is the only grade that I've taught my first position. Um, and so I really have enjoyed teaching sixth grade over the past several years and kind of getting to know the curriculum, getting to know the kids, and the community that's around Rockbrook is really awesome and supportive. Uh, so been here for several years and started working a little bit with personalized learning last year. I did the year three cohort and kind of dipped my toes into some of the different areas of personalized learning and started some guided math groups and um, starting a little bit into giving the kids more choices and flexibility and things in my room. But uh, Katie used to work here at Rockbrook with me as our EY coordinator, and she and I got pretty close with um, um, the way that we worked together with our kids in reading and math. I would send a lot of my kids to her, and so I was really excited when she came to me with some ideas on how to get started with more personalized learning for a novel unit in my classroom this year. Awesome. So, Katie, I'm going to ask you then, I guess, this give us kind of the backstory about where uh, this came from in terms of a, as an idea. Um, we can give you a little intro bio, too, if you want. Well, okay, might as well do that. Well, so, might as well. <laughs> this is my 21st year teaching at Westside. I actually taught Camille in spelling when she was in sixth grade. Way back oh. at Swanson. A long time ago. <laughs> that just completely aged me. So anyway, yes, as she stated before, I was an EY coordinator here at Rockbrook, and this particular group of students that she has just eats up novels, and they love them. So when I went to Minnesota and had the chance to um, do some collaboration with some folks in Edina and saw this menu approach for a novel unit presented, I started thinking about the ways we could tweak that, and Camille was the first person I thought of to partner with that because I knew that she'd be excited, and I knew that those kids would be really ripe for a really neat novel unit like that. Yeah, and when she came to me, I, I got really excited because in guided reading a lot in the elementary setting, it tends to be articles and short stories and trying to work with a piece of writing just for a week or two at a time. Um, and we do have novels that we've used before and, you know, the whole novel approach with doing vocabulary and literary devices and things like that. It's always great, but the, the first time that I did a novel with these kids, I just really saw them get excited about reading for the first time. And it was like, it was almost like I had a different group of kids that were coming to me from articles versus novels and so I wanted to find a way to incorporate more of them the kids were actually begging me for more novels and so I was yes personally that. I know I was kids personally really read. really pumped that they were just as excited going into it as I was um, and um, so this was already kind of set up for success just because of the enthusiasm from my kids and we knew that getting back to personalized learning, 
know your learners, we knew that this was a really great group to try this with. Nice. Took the point right out of my mouth there. Nice work. <laughs> Came in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, with this then, how uh, let's take a quick time out and say, if you'd like to reach out to the personalized learning collaborators, to have a collaboration just like the two, you know, Katie uh, and Camille were able to have here, that's something you can email us about, right? And we, I love that we uh, have the opportunity to create space to, to have dialogue about designing out cool things like what they were able to implement. Uh, and so to really get into the, uh, the details of this, we were reading... Esperanza Rising. Okay. Um, and this was a book that I chose for a couple of reasons. The first is that we already, as a as sixth grade across the district, had classroom sets of this novel. Um, so it wasn't something I had to go out and find or purchase or um, search for in any way. And I've read it several years before with my previous classes. Which I'll say is a pretty good idea for personalized learning to choose something that you're familiar with. I know mm -hmm. we've had some people that have been daring and tried something new with a new text or new content, and, and I wouldn't, um, we're at school, those things happen. <laughs> um, but, uh, so excuse the bell. But, uh, but I, so I wouldn't necessarily say that you, you can't personalize with brand new content to you, but I think that it makes it for a little bit easier uh, transition if you select something that you're familiar with. Especially, so that's interesting to bring up. Especially yeah. this novel because I had, having been a former sixth grade teacher and UI, I'd read it several times too. So it was nice when we were collaborating about when we could do certain things in certain places. We're like, oh, well, when Esperanza goes and does this, you know, we have right. familiarity with that. Yeah, and it's a wonderful book. And the other um, reason that I kind of chose it was not only is it kind of at a guided reading level that's right smack in the middle of my kids' abilities, I knew it was going to challenge my readers that were maybe on the lower end of our reading levels, but um, it was still going to be engaging enough for those higher level readers. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of interesting plot points in there that are going to keep them wanting to read. There's also audiobooks that go along with this. I found some for free online that were chapter by chapter that was able to kind of help those kids where this book might have been a little bit too hard for them. Sure. Um, but I actually went to one of our professional development days for sixth grade um, earlier in the semester where they talked about a website called Common Lit, which is amazing. And it's one of the core pieces of this unit um, and um, one of the reasons why this had to be the book that we did because Common Lit actually is a place where you can go and find things like short stories or fables or poems and things to use in guided reading, but they have a new feature on there where you can browse their library by book and they have found pieces of text, poems, speeches, short stories that connect directly to novels all the way um, from um, elementary through high school. So they have Fahrenheit 451, they have um, The Hobbit, they have lots of cool stuff, and Esperanza Rising happened to be on there, and they had all of these pieces of text that connect directly to the story, but are not from the story. Right. And so it was a way to bring in other elements of text to make that connection, which is a huge indicator we have for mm -hmm. sixth grade. Um, yeah. So that was kind of another reason that this was going to be the best book for us. That was the summative indicator. It was connecting multicultural across multicultural text. I believe is what yeah. It was. And okay. so I would and I would say too because part of what needs to be pointed out here, I guess, if you're listening in and kind of just curious about, hey, I'm interested in doing novels necessarily, and I think you know maybe that's me as a teacher. Uh, and I think sometimes we think that with personalized learning, if I don't provide seven different novels to pick from, I'm not really personalizing because I've limited them with regards to choice. Uh, and I don't think that, you know, one, personalized learning is not just entirely about choice. <laughs> but there are, when you are limited, there is something to trying to be innovative 
within a construct, um, or there is to say, hey, let's all be unified in this common text, but it sounds like you found ways to provide personalized like extension opportunities or, or resources through this common lit uh, program to, to allow for them to sort of individualize almost their own experience through that same shared text. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's worth like kind of noting, I guess, if you're going, well, I can't do personalized learning because I only have one book. Uh, there are certainly like ways to, to work with around that and with that uh, and still kind of achieve the same goals. Yeah, absolutely. In the past, when I've done novel units, I've tried, you know, to choose a book that is maybe at the level for my lower readers and then do a different novel for my higher readers and maybe have two or three novels going at one time. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of standard for how a lot of teachers, I think, do it. But I was really surprised to see how well my kids all worked with one novel. And it almost made them come together a little bit more because the kids who weren't used to being in the same reading group together got to talk with each other and collaborate and work on things because they all knew that they read the same book. And so I think it was a really positive experience, probably especially for those kids who thought that the book was going to be too hard for them. Wow. So I would say then, okay, in addition to just providing these, these resources, how did the menu piece that you... Uh, envision and put together start to personalize that experience even beyond uh, the additional supplemental resources? So the menu idea was brought to me by Katie and it was kind of, I'm going to be honest, it was a little bit difficult to understand because I hadn't been to the presentation, but both of us kind of looked at that and we said, well, we like the idea of doing a menu, but we don't necessarily want to do it exactly like this person did. And so when she and I initially met about this, we were like, this is really exciting, but let's kind of change it and make it into our own thing here. And so we kind of started to think about which indicator do we need to cover? And then what are all of the different pieces that we want to include in the menu? And so we had drinks, appetizers, main dish, chef special, and desserts, all as different areas of our menu. And each of them had a different purpose based on their importance. And so the main dish- What do you mean dish, by that? Before well, we get into the subtleties, yeah, because it, the intentionality of the design with this is, in, is critical in understanding why we want to promote this as something that other people do, because oftentimes when you hear menu, you think, well, I'm just going to list out 20 options. Mm -mm. Uh, and this certainly is much more nuanced and, and tiered uh, in a way that we need to be like clear about, because I think that's really the, one of the strengths of this piece. So kind of talk about more uh, your vision for what cause you to allocate certain assignments to certain distinctions, whether it be drinks, appetizers, or main dish. Yeah, and I will say when I introduced this to my class, their eyes kind of bugged out a little bit because <laughs> I feel like I have Welcome this, to be an innovative. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had, say too on some level, right? I had this vision in my head of how this was all going to perfectly work out, and my kids were like, I'm sorry, what yeah. uh, is well, this? Wilson, Wilson <laughs> one, of the, one of the children in her class um, turned to me and goes, we get food? <laughs> I know, the kids so really... So if I do my homework, I get an appetizer. They latched on to the food concept of yeah. this. And I said, no, 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 we're just... This is just it's a construct, I don't know. Um, and so I, I kind of planned it out like you would eat a meal. So your drinks and appetizers come first. Mm -hmm. um, and so those were the first things that the kids were going to work on every day. And so that is what we decided was going to hold the kids accountable for doing the reading. So the drinks and appetizers were mostly content-based comprehension questions. They were making sure that the kids were actually following through on reading the novel. And I felt like that was a really important piece to have first. And so we kind of started from there. And I will say this too, just the 
When you say first, what made, in my experience, because I got a chance to come in and observe, so mm-hmm. thanks for letting me come in to, yeah, to check that out. Uh, one of the things I thought was a, a major strength and really eye-opening for me was to see the way in which you use your timers mm-hmm. um, to, to really distinguish what they should be working on at a given time. And, you know, in, in my experience at the high school, we filled out goal-setting sheets, uh, and it was really more about set your daily goal, and this is what you're going to accomplish first, and, and make these SMART goals, and it's, it was impressive to see the way in which the same kind of end result happened, but with you, it, it was just about a timer, and just mm-hmm. saying, Here, here's your options, and, and this portion of our class now is allocated to this, so um, what was, where'd that kind of come into the decision process, before we get to main dish and everything yeah. else, all right, so we've already awesome. talked to appetizers and drinks, but mm-hmm. how long was that for? Yeah, so you and I kind of talked about this when you came to observe that day in my classroom where you noticed the timer and um, I actually kind of chatted with one of my kids because she was sitting behind a chair Um, and I was like, what? Why are you sitting behind the chair in the corner of the room? She goes, well, I don't like to see the timer. They said, well, why is that? And she said, well, it makes me feel like I'm running out of time to do it. And I said, well, that's really interesting because a lot of other people like to see the timer because then they know, okay, well, this is how much time I have to work on this, or I either need to speed up or I need to slow down because I know I have this amount of time every day. And so the timer, I felt like was really necessary for this class because Mm -hmm. historically they have not been the best time managers independently. And so they, I felt like I wanted to scaffold that a little bit by providing that timer, not as a way to pressure them into working faster or slower, but just so that they had a way to recognize how fast they're working every day, how much they're getting done each day, and what they were truly realistically going to have time to complete in one given session. Mm -hmm. So I allocated 20 minutes every day for drinks and appetizers to be worked on because I knew that those were more intensive comprehension-based questions. Their main dish, they got 30 minutes to work on every day, and that's a big project, and they needed more time. But the desserts, they came at the end. They were really almost Um, a way to kind of wrap up the day, and they only got 10 minutes to work um, with that. I knew I had about an hour of time in my day to take out for this novel unit, so I kind of broke it up based on the hour I knew I could give them. What an awesome way to express kind of how you want them to transition, but also to like clearly be able to manage, yeah, essentially working on p- potentially four different assignments in an hour mm-hmm. in sixth grade. That's tough. It's a lot. Uh, and and I, as adults, sorry, to, to just kind of okay. further champion what you're doing here, um, <laughs> as adults too, you have to start, start to find out what systems work for you uh, in order to be able to, you know, like manage those types of things, right? Doing four things in an hour's time. Uh, and so, um, who knows, right? Like, maybe they go on and go, that was really awesome uh, that I got a chance in, you know, in your class to have this timer. So, I know I need to set that for myself so that I can allocate some time to this, but that I also need to make move multiple things along, you know, within this set period of work time that I have. Sure. What did you think about the timers? Um, I liked them because it kind of kept you on track. Like, you didn't work too much on one thing and then you didn't have enough time for another um, like you always had enough time for each different like subject. So like you couldn't just work on your main dish for like 60 minutes and then just have your appetizers or drinks and then just do that like the whole 60 minutes one day. I feel like it will help because um, like now you, you're like asking your teacher for help and like what to do. And then, like, as you get older and everything, you might be able to, like, choose more choices and you have to be more independent and responsible. 
So I think it helps where you have like the choices about everything. But then the um, asking your teacher for help also will help because if you're like struggling in something, then you also like know how to help or ask your teacher and do everything. I think it'll also help, especially with good timers, because then it helps you organize your time. And so seeing how she organized it, um, you can then relate to that when you have a different project you're um, trying to organize yourself. You can see how much time it took you for project that you did this year to see how it would help next year. Did you have any of those kind of conversations where they, they sort of reflected on that time? Well, I guess you sort of shared a little bit. A little bit, yeah. So I did kind of talk with them about their time management and I kind of, I told them at the beginning, this is going to help you when you get onto middle school and high school and you become more independent and you have to figure out how am I going to get all of this work done by the time that it's due. I did give them a kind of reflection survey and they told me about some of the things that they were thinking about throughout the unit. And so and um, the results were that they mostly felt like their time management was pretty good. Mm -hmm. They thought that they were able to get what they needed to get done in the time that they had. Um, there were some people that felt like maybe there were some days I could have managed my time a little bit better. Maybe I talked too much. Maybe I just kind of dawdled or I bit off more than I could chew and had to rush at the end. But nobody felt like they completely mismanaged their time. And I'd like to think that's because they had that timer and they had those reminders. I didn't even really speak during the unit unless I was directly talking to a kid. I wasn't giving a bunch of directions out loud. They heard the timer, they knew what it meant, and they moved on to the next thing. Right. It was all displayed on my projector the whole time. So I had a Google slide presentation with a timer embedded right into it. I just went onto YouTube, found a 20 minute timer and clicked play, and they were off. They, right. If it wasn't projected on the screen, they said, Will you please put it up there? I want to know how much time we have. <laughs> right. So it was it was really great to see that they felt successful in managing their time because because that was there and they got to practice and kind of be bad at it at first and then figure out how to be better. And Camille did a great job too of giving the kids uh, like pamphlets ahead of time that were very direct and she said, okay, these are your choices, these are your options for each piece, but these are the pieces you were working on. So there really wasn't. None of the kids, I don't feel like, were confused or felt overwhelmed. I feel like they knew what was going on once it was explained. Yeah, I was. I kind of took um, some notes a little bit during that first week, and I wrote, Monday, students were a little overwhelmed <laughs> looking at all the materials, but they got everything set up. They started working on their activities. And then, honestly, by Tuesday, students knew exactly where to go, what to work on. It really just took that first day for them to be confused and figure out where things were located and things inside their Google Classroom before they really got the hang of it. So it was almost immediate, that turnaround of confusion to smooth going, which and was The use nice. of Google Classroom was awesome, too, because that yeah. was just an easy way for the kids to submit their assignments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to be able to facilitate those, those pieces. Um, something you said a moment ago, too, that's worth just noting is that oftentimes, I think, when uh, as educators, we shift into a personalized learning environment, uh, no longer we sage on the stage uh, as frequently. Uh, and so someone might say, well, if you weren't addressing the class, then what were you doing? And even in my observation, while having such a rich dialogue specific to the individual and where they're at in the process, specific to their interests. I know the day that I came in, you were talking with the one student who had uh, wanted to make his have his own twist on that particular assignment mm -hmm. uh, and make a comic out of it. And you were really getting into making sure that that was 
content heavy uh, and steeped in history. And so I thought that that conversation that you were having was really good uh, about kind of you know, making sure that his facts were, were accurate in addition to like doing what he loved, which was to you know create this kind of graphic novel look um, to, to the, how he's demonstrating his understanding. Yeah. So to drive all that really to a point, some people might say, isn't this just a glorified study hall? Whenever you start to give choices and options and time, time constraints. Um, so what, what would you say to somebody that would have that uh, disposition? I would say that probably on the surface it does look a little bit like a study hall because I'm not directly teaching um, any of the kids. I'm not up in the front of the room. I don't have a small group pulled at my back table. But what I am doing is walking around, conferencing with kids every day looking at their progress and also something that was part of the feedback that some of the kids gave me was one student wrote that it was very independent and I didn't have to be on them the whole time. <laughs> Weird. Whenever yeah. I get to book what I'm going to do, set it, my own goals and then like make it my own, you don't have to like don't keep to, me on task. Yeah, Weird. I don't have to just ride you constantly and, and make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But they also said it wasn't easy. So you actually had stuff to keep you occupied the whole time. And the part of the great thing about me being able to walk around was the fact that these questions were hard. And the kids commented on that a lot. They said, I don't understand what this question means. I don't know how to answer this. I don't know where to find this in the book. And so that frees me up to go around and help those individual students, mm -hmm. especially the ones that are finding the comprehension questions challenging or they're at a crossroads in their project. Also, some of the kids that might be my coasters um, who just are doing the fun parts of the projects, I can then check up on them and make sure, hey, I know what the requirements of this project rubric is, and so I need to make sure that you're actually on track. And if I'm sitting with a small group the whole time or up in the front of the room, I don't get that individual interaction with the kids. So while they are super independent, they still need my help and guidance in certain places. And some kids need more help than others. Mm -hmm. And so the kids that really took it and ran with it, I let them go unless they came to me needing specific assistance. But I think this is definitely not just, I'm going to sit at my desk while you guys are all working. Right. There's, there's opportunities for me to go around and, and kind of get to know what their interests are, especially because I get to see their choices. I get to see that some students are my writers and some students are my, you know, builders and things like that. So it kind of gave me a new perspective on how my kids were going to work by themselves without me and what they might need help on and challenge for. One of the ways, too, that you built in choice was with the weekly specials when the kids got to choose the common lit passage mm -hmm. that coordinated with us, Prawns Rising. Um, the students could either hold a discussion, videotape themselves, and submit it via Google Classroom, or they could, if they weren't comfortable doing that, they could choose to come back and have those a specific day assigned for certain common lit pieces that you would have graded discussions back at the table, too. Yeah, I kind of tried to build in some scaffolding pieces there for students that I knew would need my help, so I scheduled time for myself during the week to make sure that those graded discussion conversations were happening and that they were meaningful and maybe students who were struggling to lead those conversations themselves would know that I was available to help them with that because this is I know that in high school they have a lot of graded discussions and that's a big piece of literature classes and I kind of wanted to introduce them to that concept a little bit in my regular guided reading with articles and short stories I try and let them be the drivers of the conversation but they still 
need my help a lot of the time. And so this was going to be a good way for them to figure out, okay, can I run this conversation myself? Do I need to ask mistakers to help me and kind of figure out how much help they thought they would need from me? And I think everything that you shared there just gets to the heart of why personalized learning is something that, that we just advocate for and just think of as being in the interest, best interest of the students because that learner agency piece is so important. And the ability to be autonomous uh, in your academic studies and pursuits or just in anything, right? Like in mm-hmm. work or sports or whatever it is that you're going to, you know, play an instrument, like invest your time and be able to hold yourself accountable is something that they're not naturally good at. We as adults aren't necessarily always the, the best at those things, mm-hmm. um, but you learn through trial and error and error and error, <laughs> and you learn um, from the helpful support of somebody that you trust. Um, you learn from conversations with peers that are going through the same thing, um, and those those experiences can happen in the classroom in the midst of delivering knowledge, content, whatever you want, like you know, and, and all the things that school has always and forever will be about. But uh, the opportunity then for, and think about your, your time, like you're saying there, right? I can now as an educator allocate more one-on-one or small group time to this person, to these individuals, because they're the ones that need it. Uh, and they need that scaffolding, like you mentioned, to, to help them get to a place where they can be the ones driving the process, where others are already ready for that. And, and so the thought that they need to sit there while, you know, uh, and be patient for, while you're trying to make sure that everybody gets to a certain place, now you've, you've extended the, the opportunity for them to, to just run with things like we uh, heard about in the interview with the dessert, right? Like, yeah, I get a chance yeah. to go do these things now. Yeah, and you were talking just now about kind of failure and, and figuring out like what's going to work for me. And sometimes even as adults, we have to figure out how to fail and then get better and learn from that. And failure did happen within this unit. Mm-hmm. Um, from each week to week assignments, they were graded at the end of the first week and returned to the students and they saw my feedback and they saw what what my true expectations really were because that first week they might not have known ooh, one sentence isn't going to cut it for the answer to this question or I need to make sure that my grammar is correct and I need to double check and proofread and capitalize and and punctuate things and so they did not do perfectly every time and they saw that feedback from me and I kind of made sure to let them know what I was thinking about as I was grading all of these things and looking at their work. And and we kind of had classroom discussions like, hey, guys, I really saw that last week it looked like you rushed through this particular part. And my hope is that this week you can change that. Or, you know, as they got into the second and third week, they saw their score and said, oh, if I don't want this score again next week, I'm going to have to expand my answers. And that really helped them make those changes and figure out like, okay, within this structure, I didn't do that great on my appetizers. So next week I can do better. But just because they didn't do that well on the appetizers doesn't tank their whole grade or their whole project. So there's little opportunities for failure and growth, but not so high stakes that it's going to scare them. Well, and I think even to extend our conversation about the glorified study hall idea, uh, I felt like, and so if this is, I'd be curious to see if this is your experience as well, that when you grade those pieces and you get those pieces back and the unit is still functioning in the same way, there is now space and time for you to have conversations about feedback. Mm-hmm. 
and it's not just I you know I put it on the page and you know we'll do an assignment like this in a week and I hope you remember mm-hmm. um, is that your your uh, the ability on the students part to be able to go whoa like you said I only wrote a sentence that's clearly not the expectation and that's actually what we're doing right now is that very same thing again or something similar to that and if I don't understand your feedback like I can ask immediately mm-hmm. the second that I see this what did this mean how do I would, is that kind of absolutely yeah the kids would look at their scores and say well why did I only get a three out of five on this and so then we could sit down and have that conversation face to face and say well when I read your answer you could have expanded a little bit more I was looking for more of your thoughts and ideas or maybe you need to talk with somebody else maybe you didn't understand the question so what can you do next time if you don't understand the question I even had a couple of kids who wrote as their answer, I don't understand the question. So I had to sit Mm -hmm. down with them and say, what are your options when you don't understand? What am I doing during this time? Can you come and ask me? Because this is something that you are going to have to advocate for yourself in the future Mm -hmm. and figure out how how to be more successful. So those individual conferences with kids were happening when they got their grades back and they saw, how can I make my grade better for this part or for this piece? Camille, I love that response. It's good. <laughs> Why? Uh, because sometimes in these formats too, students will say, uh, I, I, maybe, I don't like personalized learning. And if you sort of poke into that sometimes, it's often because the ownership has sort of shifted now on who's responsible for pacing. Well, it's you actually, student. Mm-hmm. Um, who's responsible for figuring out whether you know how to answer a question or not? It's you, stu- like these these learner responsibilities that have always been the hand, like you handhold as a teacher. All, mm-hmm. Like, all right, classes, read this question together. Does anyone have any questions? And, and maybe someone else asks a question for you and you didn't even think about that, but now that person has basically gone through a process of inter- engaging with that question that you didn't learn from. I mean, you learned from their asking it and the teacher's answer, but you didn't have to advocate for that and you didn't have to frame what you were confused about even. Yeah. Uh, and so, so if that, does that make sense, I guess? Yeah. And so all these things that you're able to build in with that, um, that in the places where students get frustrated and stuck, give them an, an opportunity and a need to develop a system by which to address those issues. Mm-hmm. A huge conversation I have with my kids, especially in the second semester of sixth grade, as I'm getting ready to send them off into the big bad middle school, is that they have to advocate for themselves because they will not have a teacher like me who spends eight hours a day with them and knows them really well, yeah. better than they think I know them. And, you know, they see me all the time for every subject. I know who takes more time in math. I know who's struggling with fluency. I know all of these little pieces about them, but their teachers in the future in middle, high high school and uh, college are not gonna get that personal experience with them. And mm-hmm. so if they can't advocate for themselves to those teachers, then they will fail. And so this is a huge piece of our second semester in sixth grade. And I think this was a good way for them to see, you know, I can have a structure set forth by my teacher, but if I don't figure out my needs within that, it's not going to work. And that's actually one of the reasons why I think we chose this novel and not necessarily chose this time. I think the time was just because of when I found out about it and came to you. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact of when the timing landed, mm-hmm. ha- having been at this end at the end of the year, it was, was very fortuitous in the end. Mm-hmm. So. That's a really good point too, Katie, in that like whenever I was first at the high school 
implementing personalized learning units, it always worked better at the end of the semester because the relationships are already in place and those types of things. And part of why we want to advocate as the Westside Personalized Initiative that we start to do this more frequently is that there's just an acclimation to that style of you know, everything we've talked about in the last five minutes of this podcast, right? <laughs> and so if you have that experience in first grade and in second grade and in third grade, just at times, this is not what we're going to necessarily, you know, school's going to blow up and suddenly become personalized 100% yeah. of the time across all subjects. But by the time you get to sixth grade, then imagine what you could then do in February, right? Mm-hmm. If, or let's even go, like, we could start something like that in September. Um, if systemically we start to get students comfortable with that as an expectation um, and and developing those things that you're talking about they're just awesome so okay so to kind of bring things to a close I'm gonna I'm gonna ask what did I don't know what would you say to somebody else that is a little bit on the fence maybe they're hearing this and they're like gosh Camille sounds super jazzed about it uh, and yeah I mean I am super jazzed about it this was something that I We started talking about Katie and I, and as the ball started rolling, I started to get more and more excited. I kind of could see it unfolding in my head, and I just, I wanted to spend all my time writing it. I stayed after school super late and wanted to work on the weekends, and it's just one of those things that got me. me. Yeah, (laughs) constantly, I know. Lots of emails back and forth just because I was so um, looking forward to seeing how my students were going to be able to do this with me and I I don't know I just think it was too much fun not to try and it was something that I knew with this class of kids that they were going to struggle and be challenged and be excited and and it was going to be something really different for them and I know that it sounds super daunting to write something this huge and to take this much time to do it but Something that ended up being really cool was the fact that I put all of the time in ahead of the unit starting gave me all of this time to interact with my students way more than if I was just doing a daily lesson plan with them. So I think front-loading the work paid off in the long run. And so it's one of those things that on paper it looks like a lot, but you have to think about, is this worth it to me? And for me it was because I got to know my students they had fun. They read a book that is really engaging and challenging, and they created some really awesome stuff. And and we heard it from their interviews. They saw you having fun. Mm-hmm. Like their perception of you in that moment was like, wow. Like that the energy, the vibe that comes from that is something that's really ah gives me goosebumps. <laughs> thinking about it, so awesome, Camille. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Katie. Thanks for working with her as well and and helping her. You know, supporting her in that. Uh, risk that she undertook in the endeavor that obviously uh, made for such a cool learning experience in here. So yeah. good job, both you guys. I can't wait to do Thank another you. one this summer. Oh, there you go. I'm there already go. excited, looking <laughs> yeah. for the next one. Yep. Um, and thanks for taking the time to share your story today. Absolutely, anytime. And it helps the kids have more fun while they're learning how to do something. And Miss Akers kept telling us that she loved making it. So the teachers also probably love it. And so if it's something school related that would help them and the kids in them like it, then it would probably be a good choice. Right? Yeah, if it's more fun for the students and it's more fun for the teachers and everybody's learning more and having a chance to develop some real world skills, that's a win. Yeah. 
Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.